Hello and welcome to the Leadership Podcast, the podcast where we talk to people who are good at what they do to inspire leaders to get better. Folks, my name is Jared Hogan. Once again, I'm flying solo. Roman, the man, the myth, the legend Johnson um, is off uh, creating something right now, or he's on vacation traveling the globe. I'm not real sure what he's doing. Uh, I'm totally kidding. Uh, he's creating some some amazing uh, content for some of our incredible clients right now. So I'm flying solo today. Uh, but nonetheless, we've got a great episode for you here. We're well into the 70s uh, with this Leadership Podcast, episode 70-something. I should know what it is. Uh, but episode 70-something, we've got the amazing Kara. Powell joining us today talking about a book she's working on or has actually finished and some research they've done on reaching the next generation and some some characteristics of churches that are doing well at reaching and retaining this group of millennials and just really just people in general um, and it's some really really fascinating stuff and I won't go too far into it here in the intro I don't want to spoil anything but trust me it's one you're going to want to listen to and take some notes she has some amazing amazing things to say um, so you're going to want to check that out and folks as always this episode of the Leadership Podcast is brought to you by creativesheep.org. Creativesheep.org has all your needs for premium media for the church and ministries. You can swing over there and check it out. We've got sermon illustrations, countdowns, and much, much more. Plus, if you're needing to get some custom work, we can take care of that for you. Swing on over to creativesheep.org. Um, and now, folks, without further ado, let's get to my conversation with Kara Powell. Well, Kara, thanks so much for coming on the show today. It's a total honor to have you here. Oh, my pleasure. I'm glad to be with you and your listeners. Absolutely. So, hey, before we, we jump into, I'm really excited about what we're going to be talking about today. But before we get to that, um, why don't you give everybody just a little background on who Kara Powell is, how you got where you are, that kind of thing. All right. Well, the first thing that comes to my mind is that I'm a mom. I have three children and their ages now are 16, 14, and 11. So yes, I'm the parent of two real-life teenagers. So all my background in youth ministry is is coming in somewhat handy, but I still have all sorts of questions. Let me say that as a parent of teenagers. Um, my husband, Dave, and I, we've been married for about 20 years. He's an engineer. And the five of us, the Powell family, we live in Pasadena. Um, and Pasadena is also where Fuller's main campus is located. Uh, I'm a faculty member here at Fuller Seminary, but really my main job is I direct the Fuller Youth Institute. And the Fuller Youth Institute is a, uh, a research center that's just over 10 years old. Um, and here at the Fuller Youth Institute, or FYI, we believe in young people and we believe in the church and we want to see faith-filled young people unleashed to change the world. Um, and so we take the best research that Fuller and others are doing and translate that research into practical resources so that any leader or parent who wants to influence a young person, whether they be a middle school, high school student, college student, young adult, um, any adult who wants to build a relationship or better love and serve young people, uh, that's who we try to serve through practical resources. So, you know, Jared, I've just got to say, as a parent myself, um, every day my parenting is different and I think a whole lot better because of our research. And it's just wow. a joy to track with churches who are using our sticky faith research and our, our growing young research um, to more prayerfully and intentionally pursue the path God has for them. So I really love this job and really love this team here at FYI. That's awesome. And, and you know, so you, you said you've been doing this now for about a decade or maybe a little more than a decade. 
and have recently gotten connected with uh, Reggie Joyner over at Orange and are doing yeah. some kind of a strategic partnership there with the, the folks over at Orange and uh, your research and the things that you guys are putting together now. Orange is starting to to use or has been now for a few years. Um, and it's just a really great partnership that's going on here. And I, I'm so pumped to talk about what you've got going on uh, right now, this project you've been working on. And that I, I, if you're out there, you've probably seen one of these articles floating around on Facebook or, or Twitter or Instagram, wherever, wherever you, you find your news. Uh, but especially in the church world, seeing these articles about how millennials that grew up in church by the droves are actually walking away from the church. Um, and yeah. just young people in general, this is happening. And it, it, it seems to be somewhat of an epidemic. And, and you guys actually have the research to back this up. So, Kara, I guess just tell us, like, what is going on? Why is this happening? And, and then let's, let's start breaking this down of what we can do to, to fix it. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you asked, Jared. And one of uh, my favorite statements from a senior trustee here at Fuller, Max Dupree, he says, the first job of leaders is to define reality. And um, I love data and statistics because it often helps us define reality well. And so, you know, as you said, uh, the best research indicates that almost half of youth group graduates are drifting from God and the church. So, for your listeners and for myself and you, as we think about the, the high school seniors in our churches, um, and imagine fast-forwarding, about half of them are going to drift from, from God and the faith community after they graduate. Um, not only that, but if we fast-forward a little bit to 18 to 29-year-olds, that age group makes up um, almost 20% of the U.S. population, but is only 10% of church attenders. Whoa. So, so really, that whole young person age demographic is underrepresented in churches today. Um, so, churches as a whole are aging, and not only that, they're shrinking. Um, church attendance is declining. No major Christian movement or denomination is growing. Um, the share of adults in the U.S. who identify as Christians has dropped from 78% to 71% recently. Wow. And so, you know, it, listeners, there there are churches who, of course, are, are beating these odds, but the vast majority of churches are aging and shrinking. Um, and so that's why we wanted to do some research to, to try to help churches and families who wanted to do something about that. Man, that those are some st- staggering statistics. Th- I mean, this yeah, is yeah, they really are. I mean, I just kind of rattled them off, but it, you know, any one or two of those statistics is kind of overwhelming. But I just rattled off four or five um, okay. that are pretty, pretty depressing slash alarming um, about churches today. But you know, I and the team at FYI we're not alarmists, nor are we pessimists. We believe in the church. And we believe in young people. And so that's really why we did this growing young research is in the midst of so many bare spots in churches, we wanted to study the bright spots. In the midst of churches getting older and getting smaller, we wanted to study those churches that are growing and engaging young people. Or So we, we call these churches growing young. And so that's what we've mm-hmm. spent four years doing is researching churches all over the country who are beating these odds, beating these trends, and doing amazing work with uh, 15 to 29-year-olds. That's awesome. And I, I'm sure you talk about it in the book, uh, who these churches are. But if you don't mind just throwing it out, like, who are some of the churches that you guys have been researching that are just crushing it when it comes to this age group? 
Yeah. Well, let me share a little bit about the process by which we identified these churches. Um, we went, we got nominations from over 30 different individuals and organizations. Um, 15 of those were denominations, and then about another 7 to 10 were other schools, seminaries, as well as Christian colleges. And then another uh, 7 or 10 were other organizations like Orange, like Catalyst, like the Willow Creek Association. Um, and we asked leaders in all of these organizations and denominations to recommend amazing churches that were um, either growing in quantity with young people, in other words, more young people were joining um, and becoming part of the community, or were just doing something qualitatively exciting with young people. And so through that process, we um, we received nominations for close to 400 churches. We did an online survey of um, the youth or young adult pastor at each of those churches, as well as senior pastors. Uh, so that was stage one. It was an online survey. Then stage two, um, we conducted interviews at 41 of those churches. And then stage three, which was my um, favorite stage of the research, we actually visited churches. So uh, we went to uh, 11 of the churches that were in our sample um, 11 very diverse churches, and, you know, our, our research team spent two to five days really uh, getting a thicker description of what made the church so effective. So, you know, as you can see, it was a mixture of surveys as well as um, interviews and, and face-to-face visits that helped us understand these churches. Wow. And so this, this this definitely wasn't just like, it seems like Elevation's really doing a great job reaching young people. Yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> no I mean, to your point, we, we collected 10,000 pages of data, Whoa. over 10,000 hours. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I'm really pleased with is the great variety in the churches. Um, we had churches that were under 200 and over 10,000 in terms wow. of membership. Um, I was a little afraid we were going to end up with a bunch of young church plants. Not that there's anything wrong with that. That's awesome. Um, but we also wanted some older churches. And to our delight, there were churches that were under five years old as well as over 100 years old. Um, there were churches, urban, rural, suburban. Um, half of the churches in our sample were not predominantly white. Um, and so there was great ethnic diversity. So that was one of the, actually the very encouraging, one of the initial very encouraging surprises is that um, God is working through an amazing myriad of diverse churches. And so it was just a real honor to put these churches under the microscope and yeah. figure out uh, what they're doing that's working so well with young people. That's that's incredible. And so there's there's kind of some some common denominators, and we'll talk about those. I am curious, though, I, I, I'm not sure if it's just because you have teenagers. But why is it that you're so passionate about this age group? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, good question, Jared. Um, you know, I would say it's just a divine calling. Like mm. when I see when I see a young person, I want to go talk to them. Um, when I'm in an airplane and I look out the window and I see buildings below, I think about the teenagers and the young adults who are in those buildings, who are in school, who are working, who are in those homes. Um, so so I I just have a radar. <laughs> That, um, that that beeps really loudly for young people. And um, and so I, I really feel like it's, it's, it's God's call on my life to love and serve young people and to equip other adults, parents and grandparents and church leaders who also want to love and serve young people. Wow. 
So it, this is like a pre-wired kind of thing. This isn't like you set out to, I'm going to go reach young people just because that's what I picked on a board. Like, this is just who you are. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, yeah, it's it's really just what my heart beats for. It's it's Young people is the age group I pray for, cry over, and burden for. Um, so yeah, that's I've been working with them with young people for, depending on how you look at it, really almost 30 years um, since I graduated from high school and started volunteering with junior hires. And I've worked with Young Life. I've worked on, I've been on pastoral staff with um, two churches in Southern California and then took this role at the Fuller Youth Institute uh, about 12 years ago because I love the idea of how can research um, improve what parents and leaders are trying to do with young people. So I stand here at the Foley Youth Institute with one foot in the life of, of top shelf, heady, academic, PhD level research, and one foot in the world of real life kids and parents and youth leaders. So, um, and I love standing in both those worlds. So if you, if you force me to choose a world, it would be really hard to. Um, so I love that I get to, I get to kind of be a bridge and go back and forth between the two worlds. So, um, you know, two days from now, we're having my daughter's entire fifth grade over for a pool party wow. in our backyard, and it's it's going to be the highlight of my week. Uh, so, other than, of course, this interview. I mean, oh, it, right, it'll be right. neck and neck. Right, right, This right, interview and that pool party. So, I just really love um, young people. So. Awesome, awesome. So, let's kind of dive into some of the, 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 the commitments that these churches have made, uh, so to speak, that, that you guys studied and, and really delved into to kind of pull out these principles that these, these are the things that the churches that are reaching young people, this is what they're doing. Um, and and so let's dive into a couple of these. First one being that you said that the research found that churches that are are reaching young people well tend to empathize with them. Well, what exactly does that mean? Yeah. Yeah. So as we, as we studied these 250 churches, we identified these six core commitments. Um, the six, elements that these churches most have in common. And we were pretty ruthless about, you know, identifying those six. In, in all candor, we started with eight, and then we went to nine, and then we, then we went to five, and then we went to six. So we were constantly asking ourselves, um, you know, what what's most essential in these churches? Um, and empathy was one of the early core commitments that um, that these amazing churches showed. And and really, the heart of empathy is understanding the main questions young people are asking and journeying with young people as they try to answer those questions. And part of what I love about being a, a faculty member here at Fuller is that uh, we have a school of theology as well as a school of psychology. And so uh, Jake Mulder and Brad Griffin, who work with me here at FYI and who are co-authors of the Growing Young book, as we talk to our psych faculty and our theology faculty, as well, as we looked at you know, what churches were doing well to help um, to help engage young people, especially these growing young churches, we, we've identified three main questions that young people ask. Um, first is a question of identity, or who am I? Second is a question of belonging, or where do I fit? And third is a question of purpose, or what difference do I make? And now these are questions that are simmering for all age groups. You know, I'm in my mid-40s, and, and I'm still wrestling with identity, belonging, and purpose. Um, but for young people today, actually, I'm in my mid to late 40s, as I think about it. That's probably more accurate. Um, but for young people today, these questions are at a rolling boil. I mean, young people are constantly trying to figure out, who am I, where do I fit, and what difference do I make? And what we found in churches that are growing young is that 
they don't judge young people or view them as the other, but they journey with them. So they don't judge, they journey with young people. Um, and this is especially important as adolescence is extending. You know, according to census data, today's young adults are getting married five years later than previous generations, having babies five years later, are crossing other markers like financial independence and vocational stability later. So, you know, this kind of iconic myth of the 25-year-old living in their parents' basement actually has some truth to it. Um, and it's easy for those of us who are, you know, older than our 20s to look at young people who are um, wrestling with their vocational call, who are wrestling with financial independence, who are trying to figure out dating life, et cetera, and kind of judge them because our path was maybe a lot more linear and their path is a lot more topsy-turvy. But again, the churches that did the best with young people, they didn't judge young people, they journeyed with them. So. Maybe maybe let's explain that just a little bit further. You, you're talking about they took the journey with them. Um, I guess what what exactly does that mean? Like they they kind of kind of came alongside them and just like, hey, let's yeah. figure this out together. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Great question. I mean, well, let me fundamentally, they got to know them. You know, that's kind of where it starts. Yeah. Is are we are we willing as leaders? And as leaders who invite our churches um, to take new steps, are we willing to get to know a young person? Are we willing to take a young person out for coffee? Are we willing to not talk with our friends after church, but go find a young person and try to strike up a conversation with a young person? So, I mean, first and fundamentally, at its most base level, these churches were willing to go um, (laughs) to actually build a relationship or many relationships with young people. So it starts with that. Um, and then secondly, it starts with, you know, a lot of times we're very quick to offer advice as for those of us who are trying to mentor younger, uh, younger people and, you know, and kind of use this phrase when I was your age. Um, and our recommendation out of our research is really to try to avoid that phrase. Empathizing with young people doesn't mean, um, doesn't mean, uh, sharing advice with them. It doesn't mean telling them what to do. It means asking them questions to figure out how they can best identify options and choose the option that makes the most sense. Um, so it's a far more patient, I mean, it requires a lot more patience, a lot more sensitivity, a lot more tact um, to journey with young people than to, you know, kind of try to tell them what to do or force them into the path that we want for them. And, you know, just yesterday I was having coffee with a friend who has two, two young adults, two sons in their twenties, and, and both of them are struggling to find employment. And this wonderful, wonderful mom is really trying to wrestle with, um, you know, how do I, how do I be a companion for my young adult children in this age group without um, helicoptering over them, without giving them suggestions that they end up only rebuffing? Um, How do I really ask them the right questions, prayerfully support them, encourage them um, without trying to force them into the path that I think is best for them? Mm. Man, that's so good. And and if I could just say one thing, one more thing, Jared, I mean, the, the really great news about the gospel is in the midst of young people's questions about identity, belonging, and purpose, the gospel answers these questions better than anything else. You know, um, who are we ultimately? What's our identity? We are people who are saved by grace. Where does our sense of belonging come from? It comes from being in the middle of a loving, Jesus-centered community. And where does our sense of purpose come from? It comes from being part of God's mission. 
So in the midst of identity, belonging, purpose questions, we think, and we saw creative churches uh, present this to young people, the best answers are God's grace, love, and mission for those three questions. Man, that's, that is so good. I love it. That's the funny thing about the gospel. Anytime you take it back to that, it makes everything so simple. Like, it's just so, yeah. so simple. Um, I, I love that. And it's funny, too, because even when you look, I'm mean, hearing you talk about, like, coming alongside and, and helping ask questions rather than just give advice um, to young people. And we see Jesus did this. Like, when the rich young ruler came yeah. up to him, Jesus asked a lot of questions. He didn't just make a lot of statements when this guy came up. And so I, in several times you see that in scripture, that rather than Jesus just giving an answer and showing how wise he really was, he yeah. responded by asking questions and kind of helped people figure stuff out along the way. I, man, I love that. I think that is so, so important. Um, and so, okay, so, so to empathize with them, to basically come along the journey with them, build a relationship, which is a novel idea. Um, I, yeah. I kind of think that Jesus might've had something to say about that one too. Um, but, uh, this next one I think is super interesting. One of these other commitments that these churches had is, uh, you talk about how leadership is, is a bit of a buzzword in churches. And I have to yeah. agree with that. I have to agree with it. There's a lot of talk, a lot of talk of leadership, some good leadership, some not as good leadership. Um, but you guys discovered something that's called keychain leadership at work yep. in these standout churches. What what exactly is keychain leadership and, and why yeah. is it different? Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I love studying leadership. I love reading about leadership for fun, on vacation. You know, I just love, I just love learning about leadership. And yet, in the midst of our growing young research, part of me was hoping that it wasn't about senior leaders. Um, as much as I, I love leadership, part of me was hoping, because I believe so much in the priesthood of all believers, part of me was hoping that it would be about grassroots momentum, not top-down leadership. Um, and as is often the case, I was wrong, uh, because it, you know, as we did surveys of these churches that are growing young, three-fourths of the people we surveyed pointed to leadership as one of the key factors in helping their church make change. In fact, often it was leadership that started the cycle that helped a church growing young. Um, you know, whether whether a church made baby steps of change over a number of years, which was the more common path, um, but we also saw radical change. I mean, there was a church that was close to shutting its doors eight years ago, and now it's a church of 1,500 people, a thousand of whom are under 30. You know, wow. so we, we also saw some of that dramatic change. So regardless of the pace of change, it was, it was often started, more often than not, in fact, the most common starting point was with leadership. Um, but here's the good news, is it wasn't about like being a charismatic leader or a well-organized leader or a hip leader. It was this idea of being a keychain leader, as you mentioned. And so we, we came up with the term keychain leadership actually because of what we learned uh, during one of our interviews. At one of the churches that we were serving, we met with a youth pastor um, at this church growing young, and his name is Stretch. And Stretch told a story about uh, turning 16. And soon after he turned 16, he went and got his driver's license. And that afternoon that he got his driver's license, his parents handed him the keys to the family car and said, you know, you can go wherever you want. And Stretch was a pretty involved youth group church kid. So he went to his church and he pulls into the church parking lot and the daycare the afternoon daycare that the church offered was just letting out. And so the daycare director sees Stretch pulling in with a car. 
and she knows Stretch well, likes Stretch, respects Stretch. And so she goes to Stretch and says, hey, you know, we're looking for more after-school help. Now that you have your driver's license, um, would you like to work here? It comes with a paycheck, and you also get a key to the church. And Stretch said, yeah, that'd be fantastic. And so that very day, he also got a key to the church. Mm. Um, A few days later, he was working after school, and the youth pastor saw him. And the youth pastor also knew and liked Stretch. And so um, he said to Stretch, you know, hey, Stretch, I'm looking for someone to fill the church's soda machine with cans of Coke. I can't pay you. It doesn't come with a salary, but it comes with a key to the soda machine and all the Mountain Dew you can drink. (laughs) And Stretch thought, yeah, that's awesome. Um, And so, you know, it's just with just in just a handful of days, it gets a key to the family car, a key to the church and a key to the soda machine. Mm -hmm. A few days after that, he's in the church's worship center uh, praying by himself. And he feels like the Holy Spirit says to him, not in an audible voice, but he feels like the Holy Spirit says to him, you know, Stretch, are you enjoying being here? And Stretch says, yeah. And he felt like the Holy Spirit said, well, get used to it because I'm calling you to vocational ministry. Wow. And for and that that was really the turning point in Stretch's calling. Um, and what was key for Stretch was that adults were willing to hand over the keys to him. Wow. Now, in the case of Stretch, these were literal keys. And what we saw in churches growing young is keys refer, refer to um, position and access and power. And the best leaders who are helping their churches effectively reach young people are handing metaphorical keys over to young people. They're looking for young people and trying to figure out, you know, who's the, who's the 25-year-old I can groom? Where's the 17-year-old who can be developed by our worship leader, et cetera? And so, so you know, and this became something, handing keys over to people that wasn't just true that churches were handing them over to young people. Typically, this was the ethos or the spirit of the whole church. So, you know, the, the 50-year-olds and 40-year-olds and 70-year-olds also felt really empowered and felt like um, their leaders were constantly looking for ways that congregation members could take the next faithful step um, toward helping lead in the church. Wow. You know, I, I never thought of it that way. That's, that's actually a lot of my story. I, th- that literally happened with me. I got recruited at 15 years old to be on a puppet team for our kids' ministry as well uh, as to yeah. help. Uh, I helped run like sound and, and PowerPoint and we didn't have pro presenter at the time, but PowerPoint back then. And, um, and, and those kinds of things, like I got recruited for that. And then even in my youth group, I was recruited to run the, the snack shop. And then I was on the drama team and, and all this stuff, like the keys were handed to me. Um, and then, and then here, fast forward 18 years later, I'm, I, that's, that's what I believe my call is, is ministry. Um, and yeah. it, I can totally see the value in that. And, and it's funny too, cause I would imagine then that some of Reggie's, uh, the people over at Orange's research then off of the phase book, the, it's just a phase, yep. which folks, if you've not read this book, you need to go get it. Um, it's just a, a great phase. book. It's a phenomenal book. And it talks a lot about this, especially for the high school age group is that we have to mobilize them and you, it starts there. And this is something my team and I were doing at Church on the Move, even with even middle schoolers. Yeah. Ethan Scott on our team was developing a team of middle schoolers to run production for all of the kids' ministry. And it was mainly done with seventh graders. And it was awesome. They were taking awesome. serious ownership of it. And and that was the excitement for me is you never know then what that's going to equate to down the line of yeah. what this young person may do later on. I love how you describe that, though, as keychain leader, to give away those metaphorical keys 
of the church. Now, it's, and, and I, I want to ask one more question on this one before we move on. Yeah, please so, do. Like with Stretch's story, he was given some pretty serious responsibility. I mean, given yeah, yeah. given literal keys, not just to a pop machine, but to the church. I mean, to an entire right. building. That's a pretty big responsibility right there. So it sounds like when we, when you say to get to to not just give away those metaphorical keys, like they were we're giving away real responsibility. Not like Hey, come alongside and watch me do this. This is like, we're actually going to give you real responsibility and empower you, like it talks about in Ephesians 4.12, to go do the work of the ministry. Am I accurate in saying that? Yeah, I'm really glad you said that, um, because you're right. They were giving away, uh, and we saw this in churches, that young people were given not only real responsibility, but the freedom to make change. Because I think a lot of times um, when some of us have tried to hand keys over to young people, they end up wanting, we, we want them to just keep doing what we're doing, you know, whatever, however we've been doing worship, however we've been leading small groups, however we've been casting vision for the church, we want young people to just leave, kind of follow in our footsteps and literally step in our footsteps. And young people, I mean, part of what churches uh, pointed out they love about young people is their creativity and innovation. And so, you know, we might think we're handing a key to a car over to a young person, and they think to themselves, you know what, I can exchange this car for three bikes, which are more eco-friendly and, you know, will serve more people. And all of a sudden, this car that we handed over to them becomes three bikes. And so uh, I think that's a lot of times why we as leaders, we hoard keys is because um, we're kind of controlling mm. and we want people to do things like we've done them. And um, these these keychain leaders had figured out, had worked through those issues of control, had good communication with those they were handing keys over to, and so, and they just had courage, quite honestly. Um, and and so they they did hand these keys over to young people, and they um, they often made changes, and and the church was open to those changes, which in turn was paying dividends for these churches. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and 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 to that point Jared, I'm I'm glad you mentioned that. You know, when when we asked these churches what has it meant to you to invest in young people? Um the biggest thing they said is it's it's brought more vitality to our churches, more passion, more creativity, more innovation, um more relational depth, more authenticity, more honesty, sometimes even more money. And because while a 15 to 29-year-old isn't a huge tither, they're often attached to parents who might have some potential to give. Um, and or there's a lot of 60 and 40 and 80-year-olds who want to be at a vibrant church. And having young people at a church usually makes it more vibrant. Um, so there are adults who want to be at churches that are, um, are generative and exciting because of the young people there. So, you know, we started our research trying to figure out how churches are changing young people. And while we discovered that, mm-hmm. we also found how young people are changing churches. Wow. Um, so that was a wonderful byproduct of our research. For sure. And I just love it because it's, a, a, it's another scriptural principle. It's the, we, we often teach about this in churches with money. Um, sometimes we'll teach about it in forgiveness, but like give and it'll be given back to you. When you give it away, yeah. it's going to bring something back. Like that's a scriptural principle. It's going to happen. Yeah. And so yeah. I, I love seeing that work out in these churches. That's that's yeah. that is just awesome. So there's yeah, six, there's, yeah, I agree. It was really encouraging. There's six of these principles all together. And I want to talk about yeah. one more and then we've got a couple other questions here. I know we're our, our time is is we've got a little bit more time here, but um 
this one is really interesting to me because I think a lot of churches would say when they hear this one, like, yes, of course, we preach Jesus. Like, we preach the Bible. Like, that's that's what we're all about. We're the church. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that you all found is that churches that are growing young are talking about and living out Jesus' message in particular ways. Um, and I think this is one that initially churches might kind of bow up to or be a little resistant to or kind of hit the fast forward button at this point because like, oh, yeah, we've already got that one down. Um, but but you guys found some really interesting stuff here. If you would talk about that. Yeah, Sure. So, yeah, as you mentioned, there are six core commitments, and people can find out a whole lot more about these um, at our website, churchesgrowingyoung.com. Uh, but one of them was the way that these churches focused on Jesus' message. And um, specifically, one of the, the iconic moments for us was uh, one of the interviews that we did. In fact, of the over 1,000 interviews we ended up conducting, the one that stands out the most in my mind um, is with a, a young woman who was in her 20s, and there's a team of Fuller faculty and students who conducted the interview, and so this was one of our PhD students here at Fuller Seminary who was doing this interview, um, and a team of faculty, including myself, had reviewed the questions and had signed off on them, gone through them with a fine-tooth comb. One of the questions was, how would you define Christianity? And so this PhD student is asking this young woman in her late 20s from a church growing young, how would you define Christianity? And the woman said, um, I'm not really sure I can define Christianity, but can I tell you who Jesus is and what Jesus has done in my life? <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess you can. <laughs> so, you know, that was her, that was her drop the mic moment. Um, and I think the way that she she called out even a flaw in our question is that um, we were focused on the religion of Christianity instead of the person of Jesus. In fact, our research team, I was just talking with Jake Mulder and Brad Griffin yesterday. We recently heard this phrase about how do we read Jesus, the church. Um, And as we were discussing it in my office yesterday, that's really what we saw in our research is that these churches were re-Jesusing their teaching and their relationships. Um, because Christianity can sometimes be awkward and confusing, but Jesus is always magnetic and compelling. And these churches uh, that are growing young were just so intentional and thoughtful about how much they talk about Jesus, what they talk about when they talk about Jesus. Um, And, you know, we're especially focused on grace in the midst of what Dallas Willard wisely calls, you know, this gospel of sin management, this gospel that, which is no gospel at all, it's a false gospel, yeah. but this gospel that boils down our faith to a list of do's and don'ts. Um, and these churches said, no, it's not about a list of do's and don'ts. It's ultimately about grace. And then grace is what fuels our obedience. You know, John 15, as we abide in him, our fruit comes. So, you know, behaviors are really important, and the Bible says a lot about behaviors and do's and don'ts that we are to follow and invite young people to follow also, but it stems from really abiding in God's grace, and that's what these churches growing young understood. And what was fascinating is that these churches um, also did a great job of inviting young people to live radically. In fact, when young people talked about what they loved about their church, one of their top answers was that their church challenged them. So we're not saying that, uh, you know, a grace-filled church becomes what Dietrich Bonhoeffer called cheap grace, where, you know, we experience grace and then we don't 
think that means we need to live radically. These these churches were inviting young people to make radical decisions and um, and live radical lives and and really challenging young people. But it was always as a manifestation of God's grace instead of so so God's grace was at the heart of the gospel instead of behaviors being at the heart of the gospel. So when you say that they were challenged to live radically, maybe talk a little more about that. What exactly does that look like? Yeah. Um, well, they, they talked a lot about what living for Jesus looks like, not just in the future, but in the here and now. Mm. So, uh, you know, it's one of the people that we talked with, uh, during the interview said, you know, if, if following Jesus doesn't make a difference until you die, it's not really that good a news. <laughs> so, um, so, so they were very thoughtful and adamant about how following Jesus it makes a difference in the decisions and the relationship choices that you're facing today and this week. Um, so that was one thing. They were also, and this this borders on another one of our core commitments, but since we're running short on time, I'll, I'll kind of weave it in here. They were also uh, very proactive in inviting young people, people to neighbor well. And that was actually our, our sixth core commitment uh, of a church growing young is that they neighbored well. And so both locally and globally, these churches were looking for ways to, um, to, to be a church, not just in the neighborhood, but for the neighborhood. Um, and so they, and people ask, well, was there a particular type of service or justice work that was more dominant than others or more important in helping engage young people? And the answer is no. I mean, the churches were across the board in what they were doing to neighbor well, whether it was being involved in the foster care system or whether it was trying to uh, eradicate sex trafficking in Cambodia. I mean, and everything in between. Um, so churches, they lived that out in a whole host of different ways, but they were constantly inviting young people to love their neighbors and to figure out how the church's gifts and expertise and resources could best intersect with the needs of their neighbors. Wow. Man, this is this is such good stuff, folks. I'm taking notes like crazy here. I hope you are too. Um, so kind of as we wrap up here, Kara, one of the things I found so interesting is that your team discovered some things that, that surprising characteristics, if you will, that churches do not need in order to engage young people. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like you to talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. And this is also one of the early surprises in our research is we were able to dismantle a lot of the myths that we have about what it takes to engage young people. And in our in our Church's Growing Young uh, book, or the book is actually called Growing Young, we get into these in more depth. But yeah, and this is good news. This is freeing for leaders, at least leaders like me, who, you know, we have all these assumptions and maybe excuses um, for why we're not doing great work with young people. But you know, we, we found that your church doesn't have to be a particular size in order to engage young people. We had churches all over the map when it came to size. Your church doesn't have to be in a, a particular location. Um, sometimes we think, oh, we've got to be in the middle of a hip, thriving metro center. No, not at all. Um, the one exception to that is that we, the only the only area where geography made a difference is that when it came to reaching college-age folks, um, it was it was helpful if you were if a church was located near a college. Right. <laughs> um, but other than that, I mean, there you go. Four years of research. That's the astounding things you learn. Um, <laughs> but other than that, that was really the only geographic factor that was correlated with effectiveness with young people. So you don't have to be in a particular location. You don't have to have a particular size budget. Um, caveat to that, you know, what we did find was churches. Uh, 
allocated a disproportionate amount of their budget to young people. But it wasn't about the size of the budget. It was about the priorities that were reflected in the budget, Mm. more than size. You don't have to have an amazing facility. I mean, we had churches that were amazing facilities with sand volleyball courts and the whole bit. But there were also amazing churches that were meeting in dilapidated church buildings or were using community centers, rec centers, and schools um, on the weekend for their meetings. You don't have to have a particular hip or cool factor. Um, and, you know, this is such a relief to me, uh, the older that I get, is that, you know, the amazing leaders and amazing churches, it, it, in fact, this is another one of our core commitments, I'll just kind of weave it in now, is the power of warmth. Um, and as one of the senior pastors said in the midst of our research, he said, for young people today, warm is the new cool. Um, and I love that phrase, because any of us can be warm. I'm, it's harder for me to be cool these days, but any of us can be warm. So, so those are just, you know, uh, five or six of the characteristics that we think a church has to have that, according to our research, really isn't true. Wow. So you don't have to wear skinny jeans or... or, or exactly. Yes, we can leave or... our skinny jeans at home. Because <laughs> I'm with you. Like, I do not feel like I am cool at all. Like, I, I literally, I wear the same outfit every time I go out. It's jeans, a gray t-shirt, and a black <laughs> Nike pullover. Literally, like, same thing every time. And so I yeah. don't feel like I'm the cool guy. Like, I don't wear the ripped skinny jeans and, and that kind of thing. And now I'm a part of a church plan. And so I went from, like, managing a big budget at a big church to essentially no budget at, at this church. Yeah. And so, but yeah. it's, like you just said, though, it is so freeing to know yeah. that, like, these are not the determining factors. And I, I yeah. would even like to throw in there then, too. So it's not necessarily about how good your light show is or how good your right. stage presence or yep. Yep. Um, how good your video or how good your preaching is. Yeah. I mean, we get into this in the book and, and we took a lot of time making sure we were explaining this correctly. Um, preaching was listed by young people as uh, about sixth and what wow. they loved about their church. So wow. it wasn't even in the top five. Now, I mean, it wasn't the top 10. Sure. But, um, and, and, you know, what we observed, because we listened to podcasts of these churches and we heard preaching, et cetera, there was no b- bad preaching in churches growing young. Sure. But there was kind of a range from good to great preaching mm. in these churches. And so, you know, kind of what we say out of that is for a young person, the difference between A level preaching and B plus level preaching doesn't matter all that much. Yeah. Um, you know, in fact, one of the phrases that emerged out of our research was, um, you know, you can download a great sermon, you can't download mentoring. Yeah. And so what these churches, and, and, you know, and I think this is an invitation for us as those of us who are senior leaders and maybe preachers at our church to think about how much time and energy are we spending on preaching? And man, I love preaching and love God's word, but maybe, 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 maybe we could dial that back a bit and take some of that energy, some of that time and think about how do we invest in mentoring others who mentor young people, et cetera. Mm. So, um, so yeah, that's other good news, and I hope freeing news for leaders and pastors across the country. No doubt. Which, I mean, I guess even according to your, to your research then, it would kind of go back to the whole advice thing, because preaching always kind of comes across as advice. Like, you're just telling me what right. to do versus building a relationship with me. And so essentially, it just sounds like, like create a community for these people to be a part of, which... I would even, yes. I, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I probably still fall into the young, young-ish category. Um, yeah, yeah. But, but I, you know, I, I would just be curious to know, like, these principles seem to be things that just people want. 
um, not even yeah. necessarily yeah. just young people, but especially yeah, and that, yeah, it, it, very well said. I mean, and in many ways, a lot of this is what the Bible talks about. <laughs> so, um, so, so you know, there there were definitely big surprises in our research, yeah. and a lot of times we looked at each other and said, "Ah, oh, this is this is just good biblical theology lived out." And as you hinted at, you know, this is the church is doing this for all generations, not just for those who are in their teens or twenties. So yeah. a lot of this is is just uh, you know kind of being a healthy biblical Jesus centered spirit empowered church. Yeah. So. Yes, for sure, man. This is so good. So, Kara, let's wrap up with this one right here. Uh, what is Great. one practical thing, uh, just one step that a leader or church attender can take this week that, like, they end this podcast and they say, "I'm going to go do this this week to help their church grow young." Yeah. Well, um, <laughs> I am. I'm going to give you what I think is the best step, and it's this: it's to visit churchesgrowingyoung.com. Because that's our portal for all of our best resources. We have an assessment on there where a church can take this assessment. And because, you know, we, we have these six core commitments. Changing six things in a church is a lot. I, I, I have a hard time changing six things in my life, <laughs> let alone a system as complicated as a church. Sure. And so we want to help churches figure out, you know, of these six, where are they doing awesome where are they doing okay, and where are they struggling, and and then have a roadmap for that. And so all of that is available at churchesgrowingyoung.com. We also have articles and posts that dive more into this research. You can also order our book from churchesgrowingyoung.com. So really, our, our team at the Full Youth Institute, we created this website to serve leaders, because um, we love leaders and we love the church. And so, so that's probably the next best step a leader can take. Fantastic. Folks, make sure you go check that out. That's churchesgrowingyoung.com. And of course, we'll have that linked up over in the show notes at leadershippodcast.com. Kara, I can't thank you enough for taking the time to stop by and talk with us today. If anyone wants to get in touch with you, what is the best way to go about that? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm on on Twitter. So my handle there is at kpowellfyi. That's at kpowellfyi. Um, But for folks who want to reach me some other way, the best way to email me is at fyi at fuller.edu. That's F-Y-I at fuller, F-U-L-L-E-R, dot E-D-U as in education. Perfect, perfect. Again, Kara, thank you so much for taking the time to stop by. My pleasure. Thank you, Jared. Folks, thanks so much for listening today. Uh, What a great conversation. If you liked what you heard, if you don't mind sharing on social media, maybe leaving a review on iTunes or Google Play, that would be greatly appreciated. Folks, we hope our time together together today um, has inspired you to get better as a leader and take some steps to get there because knowledge without application is meaningless, as Thomas Edison once said, and I believe that's somewhere in the Bible. So folks, make sure uh, that you're applying what you learned today. Hopefully it's helping you in your leadership journey. And thank you once again for listening. We will see you all in a couple of weeks.